Maker, please give Sally comfort and joy this Christmas and help Mon Henry make this move to Scotchtown. She smiled as she thought of Max and Kate. Scotchtown is a perfect place for a Scottish dog. Kate would be a great comfort and joy to Sally. Liz suddenly remembered what Patrick had said about Boston. If Mon Henry's words about trouble in the streets of Boston come true, Max will be in the middle of it. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. And hosting our podcast, as always, Max, Liz, and Nigel. A dog, a cat, and a mouse. Why? Just to prove it can be done. Oh, and also it's because they are three of the epic order of the seven. Why seven? Well, later in Jenny's Corner, we'll find out exactly why from the author herself, Jenny L. Cody. Plus, one of the other four animals may show up on today's episode as well. Hey, you never know. And, of course, we'll bring you Chapter 52 of The Voice, the Revolution, and the Key, and it's called Comfort and Joy, which sort of suggests we may encounter some sort of Christmas celebration. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Kind of like that. Or the fields we go, laughing all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Max, what are you doing? Uh, collecting Easter eggs. Uh, what do I sound like I'm doing? Well, I would say singing, but that would be a loose interpretation, no? I say, zing. Uh, but aside from the little smack down there, uh, why the Christmas song, Max? This is hardly the time of year for Yuletide spirit, what? Well, mostly because it's always Christmas somewhere. Pardon? If you just look inside your heart. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> well then, uh, silly me, I, I stand corrected. Liz, what is Max's problem? Uh, too many doggy treats? Uh, too many sugary treats. Uh, uh, Max? Oh, oh, oh lass. Han, what would you like to find under your tree this year? An exquisite kitty dish made of blown glass, hand-painted in the style of the great impressionists like Monet or Matisse. Uh, but that is not important now. Max, did you tear into another bag of marshmallows? You know what those things do to you. Oh, Liz, Liz, such a curious lass you are. Ah, uh, I dare say I do see a faint dusting of powdered sugar on your snout, old boy. Okay, fine. I eat a whole bag of marshmallows and I'm feeling a wee bit woozy. But hey, it's Christmas. No, it isn't. It's always Christmas somewhere, lad, if you look, look inside, inside your, your heart. heart. I say, are we in the midst of a bad Hallmark movie? Well, it is certainly not one of the good ones. Indeed, for if it were, why, a handsome, beefy young chap would knock on the door in any moment now, waltz in here and sweep you off your feet. Uh-huh. And now who has been binging on the marshmallows, huh? Hi, lass. That could never happen. Not even at Christmas. Uh, I shall get it. Well, on, on second thought... You cannot reach the doorknob. One would think I would have learned that by now. I'll get it. Coming! Yes? Top of the morning to you. <gasps> when Irish eyes are smiling, sure and tis like a Christmas morn. Albert, is that you? And we'll all be celebrating baby Jesus has been born. When Irish cats just show up with a knock upon the door, then it on to a Hallmark movie. It's just Big Al and nothing more. <laughs> oh, Monsieur Albert, 
It is like a Hallmark movie, and you are the handsome, beefy cat of my dreams. <laughs> well, she got the beefy part right, what? <laughs> I'll see. <laughs> oh, Liz, me fairless, how could I not be here? How could I not spend me Christmas with the greatest present I ever got? Oh, Albert! Ah, I say, old chap, sorry to burst the old bubble and all, but, uh, well, it has been well established that today is not... Quiet, Nigel, for it is always Christmas somewhere. If you look inside your... Pantry! Look inside the pantry, El. Third shelf, there'll be another bag of marshmallows. Marshmallows? Aye, they're magically delicious. Oh, see for play. And come to think of it, I am a wee bit hungry from me trip. Oh, well, I sure didn't see that coming. And who doesn't like marshmallows? They're big and sweet and squishy. And uh, who does that remind us of, what? <laughs> Quiet, Nigel. Al, go get yourself some marshmallows, mon cher. Aye, marshmallows and mealies. That be both comfort and joy. Chapter 52, Comfort and Joy. Roundabout Plantation, December 21st, 1769. The whole continent from New England to Georgia seems firmly fixed. Like a strong, well-constructed arch, the more weight there is laid upon it, the firmer it stands. Liz and Nigel sat reading the Massachusetts Gazette and other newspapers from the colonies, for the latest news about the colonial resistance to the Townsend Acts. The smell of hot Christmas wassail spiced with cinnamon and oranges wafted through the Henry house. Liz smiled to see Nigel reach for his tiny thimbleful of the warm drink, taking a mindless sip as he scanned the paper. I am happy to see such unity among the colonies following the passage of Virginia's resolves against the Townsend Acts, commented Liz. North Carolina, Rhode Island, and New York adopted them in full, while others like Massachusetts and Maryland at least copied the essence of them. The association seems to be working well, no? Imports are down throughout the colonies. Indeed, my dear. Great Britain is feeling a painful pinch in its pompous purse. Nigel adjusted his spectacles, admiring his own alliteration. He read from the Essex Gazette, of Salem, Massachusetts. Listen to this praise for Virginia's resolves to inspire the movement. Virginia's resolves have the same sense of justice and value for the constitutional rights of America, the same vigor and boldness that breathed through the first resolves of that truly honorable house, and greatly contributed to form the free and generous spirit in which the colonies are now one. Huzzah! Liz beamed with pride. Mon Henry's influence continues to spread from his Stamp Act resolves now to these Townsend Act's resolves. She scanned the paper for any word of trouble between citizens and soldiers in Boston. But I am relieved things appear to be calm in Boston, despite his concern about British soldiers being stationed there. Yes, things are calm in Boston for now. Nigel replied, taking another sip of wassail, then chuckling as he read from the Virginia Gazette, <laughs> But there is quite a tempest brewing in London. That cheeky Junius fellow continues his anonymous barrage in the London papers against the chaotic government of King George and Parliament. I wish I knew who he was. As do King George and the rest of London, 
Liz noted with a wink. Perhaps he is a long-lost cousin of yours, writing with the pen of Anonymous. Nigel chuckled and wiggled his whiskers. <laughs> Perhaps. The little mouse's eyes widened behind his spectacles. By Jove, what if it's David Henry? He frequently writes anonymous items for the paper. Liz's eyes brightened at the thought. Well, if it is David, then his cousin Patrick is most pleased with his work. Well, I am most pleased that Lord Bottertort called the House of Burgesses back into session in November, offering hopeful promises of Parliament repealing at least some of the Townsend Acts in the new year, Nigel told Liz. The Governor wished to kiss and make up after dissolving the Assembly last May. And the festive ball he held at the palace was splendid. While the music was exquisite and the cuisine delicious, the governor got the clear message that the Virginians would keep up their resistance to importing fine British goods. His guests were dressed in homespun gowns and breeches. I dare say even Uncle Langlu would have blended in well with the attendees at this ball. I am certain Mon Henry enjoyed himself and felt more at home with the plainly dressed guests at the palace, Liz posed. But of course, he feels most at home back here at Roundabout. Just then they heard the Henry children laughing and rambunctious noises coming from the other room. Patrick's voice cried out playfully, Help! Sally! They've got me! Liz and Nigel shared a smile and peeked into the room. Patrick was rolling around on the floor, laughing and wrestling with his boys piled on top of him. John was now twelve, and William was six. Annie, who was two, was not about to be left out, and jumped onto the pile of Henry boys. Sally bounced five-month-old Betsy on her hip. "'I'm afraid you are on your own, Mr. Henry,' she teased. "'You can always offer to soothe the savages with a little fiddle music.' Patsy, now a young lady of fourteen, finished stringing a garland of cranberries to add to their mantle of simple Christmas decorations. She draped the garland across fresh-cut pine boughs, cinnamon sticks, and candles. "'Please, Papa, play some Christmas music for us!' "'As you wish, little girl,' Patrick exclaimed as he allowed little Annie to pin his arm to the floor. "'I surrender!' "'Got you!' Annie cheered before giving her father a kiss on his forehead. Patrick sat up and briskly patted John and William on the leg as they sat back laughing, resting their elbows on the hardwood floor. "'If Virginia needs strong militiamen to defend her, I have great confidence in you two. Well done, boys!' And as for you, Patrick teased through gritted teeth as he scooped up Annie into his arms, you have captured your papa's arm and his heart. He gave her butterfly kisses as she giggled until her face turned red. They are so happy to have their father back home, no? Liz beamed. He has to be away from his family so very much with his successful law practice and now legislative business as well. I am quite proud of his appointment to the highest court in Virginia, the General Court. Although he now handles fewer cases than before, he is handling the most important ones and receives much more money for his work. But because of this, he has to be in Williamsburg even more now. Right. Let's add this up, Nigel replied, counting on his upheld fingers. Patrick's time in the General Court requires two weeks in April and October, for civil cases, 
plus two weeks in June and December for criminal cases. On top of his busy law practice schedule, the House of Burgesses meets twice a year in May and November for several weeks on end. When one adds his travel time betwixt Williamsburg and Roundabout, Patrick must be away from home at least four, possibly even five months out of the year. The little mouse held his thimble of wassail to his lips and took a sip. Whilst our Mr. Henry works and serves the colony, he also has a farm to manage and must travel to inspect other properties he is invested in out west on the Virginia frontier. Surely Ms. P. must have worn out a dozen pair of horseshoes by now. Cato certainly has logged countless miles on all trips to Williamsburg. We, oui, Patrick must do all of this, plus serve in the vestry of his church and teach law students here at the roundabout. His current students, Isaac Coles and William Christian, show great promise as lawyers, Liz added, marveling at the heavy responsibilities on Patrick Henry's shoulders. Mon Henry is indeed living up to his name. The noble ruler of the house takes care of his growing family with the farm and land, defends the powerless in court, serves his church, teaches young lawyers, and tirelessly serves his country. Liz frowned as she studied Sally's face. There was a heaviness in her eyes and a melancholy look about her. But I am concerned about Sally, Nigel. Nigel looked at the weary young mother of five with the wildly successful young husband, now picking up his fiddle to play for his family. Concerned how, my pet? From her lack of sleep? She does have another baby to care for. Liz's tail slowly curled up and down as she watched Sally take a seat with Betsy on her lap. Not just that. Something is simply not right with her. More and more she has days where she is sad and blue. I am glad I am here to comfort her while Patrick is away. While Roundabout is a wonderful place to live, it has grown quite crowded with five children, plus the law students residing here as well. And Sally is somewhat isolated out here in the country. I think she misses her family and friends and the bustle of Hanover. I'm sure she is just suffering from missing her husband and the demands of running such a busy household, Nigel tried his best to assure her. Liz smiled sadly. Perhaps you are right, mon ami, but I shall keep a close watch on her. She smiled to hear Patrick's music filling their humble home with joy. She walked back over to read the Virginia Gazette, scanning the advertisements. Nigel, what if we found a larger place for the Henry family to live? Some place where Sally could be closer to her family as well as the Henrys. Patrick can certainly afford a larger house now. Nigel came over to see what Liz was reading. Have you spied something of interest? Liz pointed to the ad. A large, commodious dwelling house built of wood with eight rooms on one floor and a very large passage pleasantly situated and all convenient outhouses. Also a good water gristmill, she read excitedly. It's a plantation called Scotchtown with 960 acres. It is located quite close to Mount Brilliant and would be a more convenient location for Patrick's trips to Williamsburg. Nigel looked at the advertisement, preening his whiskers as he pondered. Not only that, but this house is part of the estate that belonged 
to none other than the late Speaker John Robinson. Your noble ruler of the house is already moved into Robinson's house of Burgesses. Now Patrick could move into Robinson's estate house as well. We oui, and Scotchtown will likely sell for a reasonable price, Liz noted, her tail whipping back and forth excitedly. Bon, I shall explore this possibility. I believe Scotchtown would give Sally more room to breathe and make her happy to be near her family and friends again. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Came the sound of happy carolers singing in the other room. Nigel peered into his empty thimble. I must refill my wassail and join in the Henry Christmas revelry. As he scurried off, Liz turned her gaze back to the advertisement for Scotchtown. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Liz mouthed along with the Henry family singing the Christmas carol while Patrick played his fiddle. Maker, please give Sally comfort and joy this Christmas and help Mon Henry make this move to Scotchtown in the coming new year. She smiled as she thought of Max and Kate. Scotchtown is a perfect place for a Scottish dog. I know Kate would be a great comfort and joy to Sally if trouble is coming. Liz suddenly remembered what Patrick had said about Boston, and her smile faded. If Mon Henry's words about trouble in the streets of Boston come true, Max will be in the middle of it. Hi, announcer lad here. We hope you're enjoying our podcast this week and every week, as our stories are taken right from the pages of Jenny L. Cody's books and put into audiobook form. But here's a question. Have you gotten your own copies of the Epic Order of the Seven audiobooks yet? Hmm? Hi! For Christmas be coming, you know. Uh, yeah, eventually. Uh, but, but these audiobooks are great gifts any time of year, like for birthdays. Christmas would be be Jesus' birthday. Yes. Y- yes, it was. Uh... Is that it? Weren't that enough, lad? Oh, yes. And here in the modern world of downloadable gifts, we'd love for you to consider one of these fine audiobooks written by Jenny L. Cody. And read by the flapping lips of announcer lad here. Uh, thanks. Now, there are three currently available as of this episode. The first in the Epic Order series, The Ark, The Reed, and The Firecloud, and the book we're currently reading through here, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, and our very latest audiobook, which follows the voice, it's called The Declaration, The Sword, and The Spy. And coming soon, just in time for Christmas. Uh, no, a lot sooner than that, just in time for summer vacation. It'll be our fourth audiobook, this time from Jenny's book called The Dreamer, The Schemer, and The Robe. So be watching for that very soon. You'll find them all by logging on to audible.com. When you get there, just type in Jenny L. Cody in the search bar, and you'll find all three. And if you're looking for any of Jenny's books in their written form, well, just go to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com, and you'll find all eight novels, the VRK study guide, and much more. Aye, and a big thank you for being such a loyal follower of our podcast. Oh, très bien. And, gentlemen, speaking of Miss Jenny, we need to check into Jenny's corner. Miss Jenny? Liz, did you have a question for me today? Uh, someone recently asked us, why are we the epic order of the seven? Hmm? Why do you have uh, seven animals? Why do I have seven animals in the epic order of the seven? Well, 
it all started, of course, with Max and Liz. And when I first started writing The Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud, I didn't know that I was going to be even developing this team of animals. But, of course, fell in love with Al and Kate. And at the end of The Ark, well, they had to go with Max and Liz, right? So I had four. And then, of course, I had Gilliman, and he was going to be their team leader. And then I had five. And then here comes along Nigel P. Monaco in The Dreamer, The Schemer, and The Robe. And I fell so in love with Nigel, I was like, well, he's got to join the team. And then there were six. And then came to the point where, you know what? This isn't just about Max and Liz anymore. And seven is the number for perfection and completeness. And so, again, my main muse, Claire Foltz, She said, Jenny, come up with a seventh character and name the team. And so that's exactly what we did. And we came up with the seventh character and we called it the Epic Order of the Seven. We, and of course, our seventh animal is the ever-changing lamb who is now Gilliman's assistant of sorts, uh, Clary. Uh, Merci, Miss Jenny. Au revoir. Hi. Thank you, Les. And now, let's head back to Nigel with our special in-studio guest, our Irish and a wee bit daft kitty friend, Big Al. Oui, Albert, it is such a treat to see you, mon cher. Aye, ye be quite the Christmas present too, me love. Ah, uh, excuse me, uh, Captain Reality here. Uh, uh, seems I must remind you all again, uh, this is not Christmas. Not even if you look inside your heart, uh-huh. But by the same token, it is indeed a treat to see you, Al, old chap. Oh, thanks, Mousy. I, I just flew in from Belfast. And boy, are your paws tired. <laughs> ah, oh, that never gets old. And you'll be happy to know I brought a wee Christmas gift for each of you. No, they're truly wee little gifts, for I were traveling light. I say, Al, traveling light? Is that even possible? <laughs> Nigel, he is not fat. He is, uh, Fluffy. My apologies, Liz. Indeed, he's fluffy. Incredibly fluffy. Aye, and it looks like he's put on a few uh, fluffs, too. <laughs> you are not funny. Uh, mon cher, what did you bring? Well, first, for me old pal, Max. Uh, what's this? Ooh, this be grand. What is it, Max? It's a subscription to the Bone of the Month Club. <laughs> ah, thank you, laddie. Ah, uh, sure, and I got a wee gift for a wee mouse, too. A tiny thermos bottle? Well, I'll just pop the cap here and... <laughs> I say, jolly good, it's a decanter of wassail. Uh, wassail? What's a wassail? Is that a soggy waffle? Uh, no, dear boy, it is a hot cider-like punch, uh, just like the punch enjoyed by the Henrys, what? Oh, très bien. Indeed, for a wassail drink, generally speaking, consists of various combinations of fruit juices or ale, with apples or oranges added. Oh, that sounds tasty. To which is then added sugar, cinnamon, ginger, and nutmeg. Oh, that's really fast. And thus is considered perfectly suited for raising a glass of cheer and toasting wishes for good health. Well, thank you, Mousy. That be... In fact, the word wassail... Oh, there be more. ...is believed to have originated from the Norse greeting Vesheil, and uh, then over the course of time became the old English modification we still use today, which, of course, is the word uh, wassail. Oh, merci, Nigel. That was fascinating. Oh, aye! <laughs> aye! Ah, uh, do it taste good, then? Ha! <laughs> it is absolutely delectable. 
Uh, uh, that means yes, Max. Oh, uh, well, I am much obliged, Big Al. Brilliant. Ah, uh, sure, and tis a holiday favorite. Indeed, if only this were a holiday. And finally, for me special less. Mm, it's mes magnifique. Woo, parfum. Uh, feline perfection number five. <laughs> Merci, mon cher. Aye, it makes you smell as pretty as you look. Uh, thank you for these fine gifts, Kitty, but, uh, well, I'm afraid we didn't get nothing for you, lad. I say, uh, but what, what, we, what we shall do is perhaps pool all of our resources along with announcer lad's credit card. Ooh, good idea, Max. I'm sorry, what? Oh, no, that aren't necessary. See there, he doesn't need... But if you insist, I'll leave you me shipping address before I go. Oh, merci. Uh, but speaking of which, it is time for us to go, so we must bid our listening friends adieu. Well, then, lass, I believe I have the perfect way to do that. Would you join me? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Oh, très bien, and show you Noel. But I, Merry Christmas, everybody. For the last time, it is not... Oh, uh, never mind. Uh, Merry Christmas. May the joy of Christmas fill your heart every day, uh, regardless of what the calendar may say. And so, much like the covering of Al's many Christmas presents, I say, uh, that's a wrap. <laughs> Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandee! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.